Are you cool enough? Uh, I know you're, I know you're cool. Um, cool as I'm ever going to be. As cool as you're ever going to be. It is Carcone Carne. We are on Pulaski Avenue. That's Steve Silver over there. He's an author. He's a hey, raconteur. Uh, he's a guy with, with tons of stories, and we're going to get to him. But I should mention, it's a new year. It's 2019 right now, and a lot of people on the resolution list have getting a new car, getting out of that piece of junk you've been driving forever that you've got 150,000 miles on. Time for a new car. What I did, I went to the Autobahn Mazda of Evanston. My last two cars are from the Autobahn Mazda of Evanston, uh, 1015 Chicago Avenue in Evanston. I love that place. I love the service, the the intent, the attentiveness. Uh, it's just a great place to go. Try a Mazda 3. We're in a Mazda 3 right now. This is comfortable. It is. It's a great a city car is what it is. It is. It's it's big enough to, to feel luxurious, but it's also small enough that you can dart in and around city streets. So sure. Autobahn Mazda of Evanston, proudly sponsoring Car Con Carne. We have food tonight. <laughs> South American food from uh, La Humita. La Humita. This is a place you chose. This is this is a place you've been going to forever. For well, ten, gotta be ten years at least. Yeah. Like you didn't even hesitate when I asked you where to go. This was my first pick. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. So we've got a bag of food from La Humita. Uh, we should start busting it out. Right. We should provide context for those who are not familiar with Steve Silver by name. Maybe they're familiar with you by by face. Maybe you... This face, yes. Maybe you carded them back in the day. I could have carded you. I could have carded your dad, I guess. I'm <laughs> that old. Uh, 81 to 86, 87, 88, uh, the original exit. Door On Wall Street. On Wall Street, six nights a week, I was it. We only opened six nights. I'm pretty uh, sure you you carded me, and I couldn't get in there when I was underage. Like yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you denied me, which you did the right thing. You did the right thing. You know, it, it's a job that's a good job. There's a lot of fun to it, but you know, sometimes you do have to take it seriously. Probably yours. You probably came early before I was drunk, so <laughs> probably why I wouldn't let you in. Um, and then I worked at Metro Smart mm-hmm. Bar, which was just a fantastic operation. And How long still were you there? Is. Uh, three or four years, okay. and then I went on... Did our paths cross at any point during that period? Yes. They must have. Yes. Okay. Actually, I think our paths crossed the first time there. I don't remember not letting you into exit. Sorry about that. But the first time... It was like 30 at, fucking years ago. It was 30 fucking years <laughs> yeah. ago. Um, if I remember correctly, it was... It might have been. It was either one of the Pumpkins first shows, or a Naked Ray Gun show. I can't remember which. But you were with a bunch of people. That doesn't sound like me. And you, they knew me, but you did not. When I say a bunch, I mean like three or four people. Okay, that's that's that sounds more accurate. That's a bunch to me. Uh-huh. And you didn't look me in the eye. And I think at the time, I might have been like, at the time, back then when I still had all my memory, uh-huh. I could have been, I didn't let that fucking guy exit. I wonder if he's old enough. But by then, it was probably it. many years had passed. But that's probably something like that. But yeah. So it's been 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. And you're not here just because you worked at these clubs. You're here because you've told the stories of these clubs. You, you've, you've put a lot of the, the, the behind the scenes, the, the scents, the smells, the... 
happenstances of your experiences in Chicago on paper. You put your life story on paper, your childhood. True. Everything. I'm going to hold this book up. Oh. This might hurt a bit. This is an excellent work. Uh, you did this all yourself, right? I did. Uh, I wrote it all myself, yeah. My wife, who's an editor for college textbooks, actually, this was her first piece of fiction. Is that why it's edited. very math-heavy? Yes, it's, there's a lot of math. If you don't, if you like calculus, you're going to love This Might Hurt a Bit by Steve Silver. <laughs> this Might Hurt a Bit. Um, yes, and the, the book came about because I was always wanted to be a writer, always claimed to be a writer, always was a writer in my head. And then one day, finally... See, I totally get you. Like, I, I, I'm right there with you. Claudia is like... Actually, when Claudia and I's first date, when we met at Metro, I was coming... I was home from New York visiting, and uh, I met Claudia, and then 12 days later, we got married, which is a pretty good story. Um, Wait, and what show did you meet her at? No, I was just going down to our smart bar to say hi to everybody okay. I knew, because I was only visiting for a little while from New York, and then I moved back. But, yeah, after I met her 12 days later, we got married. And it's been, it'll be 25 years in April, which is a weird story in its own. But <clears throat> first, like the next morning when we were hanging out, getting gas in her car, I go, I have a secret to tell you. She's like, what's that? I go, I want to be a writer. She goes, me too. That was 25 years ago. That's not a secret. That wasn't a secret because I tell people all the time. I wrote for a paper, my friend Rick Wasco, who uh, is uh, a art director for magazines now. But... Um, for Positively Aware is, is, I think he might be the art director, and I apologize if anyone knows that he is or isn't, but he's just been a great guy, but he was the first uh, publisher of The, the Eye, which was an art newspaper in Chicago, remember I kind of remember that, yeah. E. And so he gave me a column. He's like, you got a lot of good stories. And back then, I was like 22. Yeah. I didn't really have a lot of good stories yet. Yeah, if someone is interested in what you have to say, great. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote this, and then when I started to write it, I was like, you know, I can tell a bunch of stories about Exit, Smart Bar, Ministry, Pig Face, all that, the, just the craziness. But it's like, you know, I kind of sit it around and tell those stories to people anyway, right? So a bunch of the kids' stuff came up in my head. I, I wrote it out. Uh, people encouraged me, so I wrote it. I have a second version coming out soon, which is more of the after the kid the, the kid from the suburbs gets to work at all the cool clubs that's a pretty uh rock and roll and bar and heavy 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 let's heavy. bust out food yeah. because my stomach is growling i, I don't want to get that on mic but i, I want to start digging into this stuff this this period Ooh, are those empanadas these are empanadas those are beef did you just order a bunch of stuff and i ordered empanadas and the hum Steve ordered everything before I got there. I did. It was. I mean, I just figured. I didn't even look at the menu. I don't even know what this is. Almost the hardest stuff in the world to eat. So this is beef empanadas. Beef. There are some cheese too, but I think those are all beef. And yeah. believe me, Steve, I've eaten much more difficult food in this car. <laughs> but smell this. It's a corn tamale. And it's That's on a bamboo, national bamboo Ecuadorian plate. food. It smells sweet. Yeah. It's Ooh, like it's almost really like good. a lotes, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. without all the extra stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, mm -hmm. the food's really good, um, and like I say, you know, friendly folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, oh, here's pork. I don't know if we really need silverware or not, but empanadas good. They beef empanadas good. The empanadas are good. Mm -hmm. Cheese, I like the cheese. Um, you know, Ecuadorian food. I, uh, I'm not an Ecuadorian. I'm, you know. My people are Irish. You know what I mean? It's like the first time I had Indian food, I was like, oh, my God. It's like, what if, what's wrong with my family? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm trying to uh, 
as my kids get older, expose them to as many different cuisines as possible. The hardest thing is exposing them to Indian food. You go down Devon Avenue, you don't even know where to begin. Like you don't yeah. know what, what the good restaurants are. It's like, yeah, I want to take you to a, to a buffet. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. I don't know where to start, so we're going to go for pizza. There you go. Yeah. Pizza's fair. All right, so we'll jump around a little bit. All right. But, but let's start with Exit. And for people who are listening or watching, uh, who know of Exit as that North Avenue haunt, Exit uh-huh. had uh, Exit's life before then was dangerous. Exit was this edgy place. It was the place that all the cool the, the perception was all the cool people went. That's where Naked Reagan, the dudes in the fucking cop coats, would hang out at. Yeah. And it, it, it had a vibe. It had that. That's something that you can't manufacture. No. And uh, it has kind of a cool music uh, pedigree that when we took it over, I didn't take it over. Terry Fox, a bunch of other people took it over. I came a year later, but I was in that scene a little mm-hmm. bit. That to me, that was being able to work there was off my radar. I never thought that would happen. Like, um, if you come to one of my shows, like when I tell I Martin Atkins of Pig Face, former guest, Pig Face, mm-hmm. ministry, PL, said, Tell a story about when you got into the music business. You know, like we were doing a show, and I remembered that I was helping Johnny Cash load gear, and I was like, Boy, at a place where I was bartending and I was like a kid I was just a big kid so they let me mm-hmm. bartend at this thing and I was loading it, the story's really long but it's like the end of it is me loading gear into Johnny Cash's broken down bus telling him I love music but can't play music and I'd like to do something and he goes well son you could do this like it never <laughs> dawned on me that I could get paid to help musicians Mm-hmm. Then the guys from Naked Reagan are like, yeah, we won't pay you, but you can come with us for a little while. But that was cool because I love those guys. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird how, like, your friends become famous. And then you're like, well, that's cool. Good for them. Yay, then. But Exit started, they took over. It was a place called the the Whiskey River. It was a country western bar. And then they walked in and said, out. Now, this, this is the east side of Well Street. <laughs> um on the other side of Wells from where Second City is, uh, mm-hmm. north of North Avenue. Yep. Just for perspective. So it was Whiskey River. Then it became Exit. Then it was Exit. Um, like, I remember, like, I was in high school. And I would hear stories. No wonder uh, I didn't let you but I, Right. <laughs> Again, you made the right call. But I would hear stories about Exit. I would hear, I don't even know if they were apocryphal or if they actually happened, but I'd hear stories, you know, and G.G. Allen cut himself open and smeared himself with shit and then had sex on stage. I would hear these crazy stories. Did that happen? Yes. Okay. I was there. (laughs) Um, The first one was that. He played there twice. He might have played there three times, but I think it was twice. Our first night... We were like, what the fuck? <laughs> the, the, the dudes at Exit are saying, what the fuck? The dudes at Exit are saying, what the fuck? And the funny part is, I knew something was up because everybody who came in, I had never fucking seen before in my life. Everybody paid, and everybody was like, paying the $5, which no one ever did without pitching. I'm mm-hmm. like, I looked at Larry, I'm like, there's something fucking going on here. He mm-hmm. goes, yeah, these people are weird. And they are really, really quiet. It's like, wow. None of them drank, which was also bad for business. Mm-hmm. And then G.G. Allen started playing. The guys from uh, Mystery Girls, uh, Kevin Jr. and a few other people, they were chamber strings later. Mm-hmm. 
they were the pickup band, and there's, there's a video somewhere of Gigi Allen playing and screaming about, and these guys just playing, and they were like a uh, like the Black Crows. Mm-hmm. That's who they were, and they're like slowly edging off the stage, like what the fuck? Uh-huh. Like because when he did soundtrack, he didn't do any of that stuff. Oh right, they had no idea who he was. <laughs> yeah, surprise. So uh, the second time that Gigi Allen played, I took him into the office and I said, I don't really care what you do to your fans because they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I go, everybody that works here and every regular that's going to be here is wearing a shirt that says staff on it. If you cover yourself in shit and you run towards one of those people, I'm going to kill you. And he goes, ha, <laughs> And I pulled out a huge gun that we had in the office and I go, I'm not fucking around. I will blow your fucking brains out. He goes, okay, yes, sir. Now, what I have Wait, so you put Gigi Allen in his place? That's fantastic. It's better. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. He cuffs himself and shit. He goes running around. He's hugging all these people. Wait, he goes running. How does one... Co- so if he covers himself in shit, that means he would have to take a shit. He, he took did- the shit on the stage like a bunch. He would take a bunch of x That was his deal. Then he would shit all over the stage. He would lay in it. He would bang himself. He would. He would. He literally... I hate to do this while we're eating and have microphones in our mouth. But, but the, the rice in here is would, delicious. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. He would literally jam a microphone his butt there's a microphone from one of his shows that's on ebay actually described as a microphone from gg allen's ass it's oh. every once every few years it goes on what sale a prostate on massage uh-huh live on stage so he was running he was running i like that i say prostate massage and suddenly like a stream of smiley faces show up on the facebook that's live. nice <laughs> um he was running around trying to hug a couple people at work and earl from the effigies See, mm-hmm. this is such a small world. Mm-hmm. Earl from the FG's bartender, he's like, Silver, go get it. I go on back, and I just point at him, and I go, Gone! At the top of my lungs. And he goes, okay. And he just, I literally just went, okay, and stopped. Then he went and did his thing with other uh-huh. people. But it was just kind of weird. But every time, every time through that whole thing, I was like, I see what you're doing. That's, you're not really crazy. You're just playing crazy. I'm actually crazy, so here you go. I'm going to blow your head off if you do that wrong. So anyway, yeah, so Exit had a pretty good reputation. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, well, it wasn't kind of like, it was, it would be like our equivalent of Max's in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Or CBGB's, whatever you want to say. It sounds kind of like you're trying to fill yourself up with it, but you aren't. We're a four o'clock bar in Chicago that's filled with punk rockers. Yeah. People from Rush Street would come down to stare at the weirdos. Right, the because guys, at the time, I mean. Yeah, it was. We're talking Lincoln Park. I, you literally, literally, I would go into a bathroom in some places during the day with my biker jacket and my button on, and people would follow me into the bathroom to want to fight. First of all, it's kind of stupid because I'm a door guy. I have crazy hair. I'm 6'3", and I'm pissed wait, off wait, at the world. Why, I don't even understand why that would be. That was just like, look at the weirdo. This was back when people thought punk rockers were like the devil or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you'd get hillbillies or whatever that just wanted to see if you could fight, which was a bad idea. But... <laughs> So, uh, let the record show you're a pussycat. I'm a pussycat. I really am. Well, you know, like my friend um, Tony Mixon says, I didn't kill all those people so I could be an asshole now. Um, anyway, um, the leather jacket thing. We'll get to that. Man, how much? You've got a good memory. It all comes back. You're doing this really well. Uh So, I tell the story in the book. I get pulled over with cops. Cop says, the book. Cop says in front of my mom, you're the guy who works at Exit. Chicago cop. I go, yeah. He says to his partner who was about to shoot me because I had a taillight out. 
you know, it's Chicago back, back in the 80s. Back in the day, yeah. He goes, this guy works at Exit. And the guy goes, are you fucking kidding me? I go, no. They go, all right, man, take it easy. Get back in the car. Driveway. Wave. Like, laugh. My mom's in the car with me because we're going to buy a Rolex for her boss, which is in that thing. But So you got to pass just because of the association. Yeah. And like I say in the book, cops would roll up and look at me and laugh and shake their heads. And I just thought they were making fun of how I looked, right? That was part of it. But the other part was, you guys are crazy. I had a lieutenant tell me, you know why we like you? Because you never call us. And if you call us, we'll send 20 cars because you guys take care of business. And it, mostly we did, but a lot of it was just like, look, dude, I don't want to beat you up. I mean, a lot of my job was just, ah, look, come in tomorrow, I'll buy you a drink. Because if I have to beat you up now, I'm really going to beat you up because this is my job. You know, you get to go to your job tomorrow if you lose a flight. If I lose this flight, I got to find a new job, you know? So the, this ability to kind of engage like that, for mm-hmm. you to engage like that, to say, hey, I, I don't want to pulverize you. I, but the ability to pulverize as needed, I mean, this comes from rough childhood. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, you took some licks as a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did. Not as bad as, you know, spilling up a knot on myself oh, yeah, in the car. Oh, yeah, that's part of the but, fun. Yeah. Growing up was kind of rough. I grew up in a time when you just settled fights by biting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um... My dad left. My mom hung out with... My mom was like an old rocker who... From the original rock and roll days, who then got into the hippie scene. She wasn't a hippie herself. She went to work every day. She never even liked hippie music, really. But she liked what they were saying, right? Because she believed in equal rights. That's what really got her going. Mm -hmm. 68 convention. I'm seven years old. I'm old! There's kids staying in our floor. We're poor. It was like that was a place where people could stay in our neighborhood. Everybody mm-hmm. in my in my neighborhood, it was black, white, Hispanic. Or there was people that came right off a boat from either Poland or Italy. They couldn't speak the language or very well. Mm-hmm. People from Mexico, just everywhere, you know. There was still some part of the southern migration for for African Americans too, all too this little town in Aurora because it was an industrial town and yeah. it was nice. But one of the side effects of that was because my dad was an asshole and left or was asked to leave, um, my mom decided that everybody who came around had to pitch in a little bit and help me with the manly stuff, you know. The guys in the neighborhood were all hoods. They taught me how to fight a little bit, but then I learned how to really fight from complete strangers. Because you know what? Everybody who knows you, they want to teach you how to defend yourself mm-hmm. and stuff. They can't because they like you. A complete stranger will teach you how to fight pretty well. Uh, you used the word hood in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you officially became a hood on Maxwell Street. I absolutely did. Is there a, Chicago, a story more Chicago than that? No. Coming a hoodlum on Maxwell Street. Coming a hoodlum on Maxwell Street. That's when you got your first leather jacket. From Hosh Brothers. Which was an actual store on Maxwell Street, on Maxwell Street, but they are also were open, obviously, during Maxwell Street. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's where all the hoodlums went because you could get a thick leather jacket that wasn't, well, they didn't really have, it wasn't a fashion ever. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the guys who came back from World War II had left their jackets or given their jackets to their kids who were now, you know, my age. So, yeah, that's where they went. They took you there. You picked out a jacket, and then they poured beer on you and 
It's like getting jumped into a gang. Well, I was just going to say, they poured beer on you. Everybody piled on top. You don't want to hurt you, but everybody piled on top of you. And then they wrapped it in an old chain and pulled it behind a motorcycle or a car. Wait, what? That's what you did. Come on, you know this. <laughs> it's still, it, it's stunning to hear another person say it out loud. Like, hey. Oh, that's how you got jackets beat in because they were hard. They were it's like a baseball glove. You got to yes. drive over it, or exactly. if it's a if it's a leather coat, you just got to drag that person. In. Exactly. So, you want to hear the story about the Chicago cop leathers and exit? I do, but hang on. Okay. Uh, there is one more beef empanada left, and I don't want to be. I don't eat beef. Isn't that you weird? You don't eat beef. I don't eat beef. For but pork. you're so you're so manly. I'm very manly. I haven't eaten beef or pork since I was 16. Holy Your crap. next question is, how do you get so fat not eating beef That's, or pork? That actually That's would never rice. be a question that would leave my leave my lips. So how dare you? <laughs> All right, so Chicago cop coats. All right, so back in the day, back in my day, exit was the crazy place to go. This all goes full circle here. Mm-hmm. Right, cops respected us. Didn't like the didn't like the customers. Very condescending to the customers, but thought we were okay. Plus, you know, it was a wise guy joint too, so that that helps. Really, like the mob hung out there. No, or they they were The mob yeah. did not hang out there. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense, would it? No, 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 no. They thought we were crazy, but, man, they made a lot of money for a bar that used to be a hillbilly bar, right? So. That's so interesting. (laughs) So the cops, like I say, would give us a pass. They'd begrudgingly nod or whatever as you're going by. Like I say, I get pulled over. You're the guy from. People still to this day. My next book is actually called High and Outside because it's all about being outside of everything that's happening and being out of your head on drugs Mm -hmm. almost for all of it. All while playing baseball, too. All while playing baseball. <laughs> um, and But still to this day, my next book should just be called Exit. Because I worked at Metro. I worked at China Club. I worked at the tunnel in New York. And when people would recognize me from Chicago, they'd go, you're that guy from Exit. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. But, so, anyway, so coppers would say, yeah, that guy from Exit all the time. And sometimes it would happen, like, they were being street clothes. We'd be someplace. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jane Byrne is the mayor, and she says to uh, the Chicago Police Department, we're going to be a kinder, gentler police department. Mm-hmm. Those leather jackets got to go. All of a sudden, twice a night, squad cars would pull up in front of exit, pop open the trunk, there'd be 50 Chicago cop leather. Seriously. You guys want these? 25 bucks a piece. They had to get rid of them. They had to wear nylon. They were no longer allowed to wear leathers on duty. This is amazing to me. That's where it comes from. The leather pack patch, the bike, the, the cop jacket with the leather Chicago police and the leather Chicago flag. From They all come from Nate's Leathers on 63rd. But, yeah, Martin's just, Martin just posted a picture of his on Facebook. Uh, Scotty Brown! He's an original exit guy. He's out in L.A. now, making about a billion dollars. Show uh, off. Show off. Um... That, that's an amazing story. So they yeah. just rolled up and, oh, some jackets fell out Pop the back open of the hood. A, and the first time they popped open the, the trunk, Larry and I were like, oh, fuck. And the guy's like, hey, you, come here. Like, literally. Like, hey, kid, you want to buy a watch? It's like, you guys wear these, right? We're like, yeah. Like, 25 bucks a piece. You bought them all. Now, Twice I thought a night. you couldn't wear a cop coat. That's the trick. You can't. <laughs> they didn't care. They had to get rid of them. 
They needed money for their nylon jacket. But if you jacket. bought it, you couldn't be seen in public with it. If you bought it, you couldn't be seen in public with it. And if you bought it, you're supposed to take the leather patch off that shit, Chicago police. Uh-huh. You could have the flag, mm-hmm. but you couldn't have the Chicago police leather. So, you know, it had the octagon. You had to cut that off, right? So mm-hmm. then you have this big thing. Now, the leather's all worn. That patch has been on since day yeah. one. So we put all sorts of different patches there and stuff, you know. But you suck up the Chicago flag. You had the CPD buttons. The pockets weren't pockets in front because you're not allowed to have pockets yeah. in those coats because you got to be able to draw your gun. You're not allowed to have your hands in your pocket. So, yeah. That's an amazing Chicago story. Trunk loads and trunk loads and trunk loads. It lasted literally six months. And then she's like, yeah, go ahead. Wear those leather jackets. But they were, we already had them. Plus, Joe P., genius marketing, goes down to Nate Leathers and goes, every cop who's bringing you a leather to trade in for, like, something else, I'll take. So when the cops... <laughs> Got to wear their leathers, and then some of them went back to Nate's to get the one they traded in for, like, a regular fashion leather or something. Uh-huh. He's like, yeah, they're all gone. The guy at Exit's got them all. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? So, yeah, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, that's just a weird Chicago story. It's like, here you go. Buy all these from us because you guys will wear them, and we can't wear them anymore. We have to wear nylon jackets. Because as a kid, growing up in the suburbs, I that was always that was the image, you know. I think of Raygun. I think of yep. the flat top hairdo, yep. uh, the the Chicago cop coat, yep. the whoa whoa, whoa, just to, whoa, just to complete the uh, just to complete the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Hi Jeff Pizzotti, if you're out there. Hi Jeff Pizzotti. Eric uh, Spicer would be out there, but he's probably playing his first set of drums. Do you know this, Joe? I don't, but hang on. Carquin Carney, uh, this is, I, I guess this is mid-roll-ish. Uh, Carquin Carney is presented by the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston, 1015 Chicago Avenue in Evanston. A fantastic place. Uh, try the, we're in a Mazda 3, try the CX-9. That's big. If you have a family or if you're in a band and looking for uh, <laughs> three rows, you can fit everybody and the gear. Uh, that's a good way to start. So, anyway, uh, the the Eric story. Uh, Eric, back when Naked Reagan started, had his own drums, but now he doesn't. It's like so he's got to borrow some of these drums, and so it's just like you, we bust his balls every time. It's like greatest drummer in punk rock history doesn't own a set of drums. <laughs> it's interesting, but you know he's still an excellent drummer. Fucker, uh, he's a great guy. He actually is a great guy. I uh, <laughs> used to live above the Southport Liquors, mm-hmm. and uh, I was with Glenn Russell, who's a DJ. Still, actually, is playing more than when we were at Exit. Uh, it's a great friend of mine, and. Uh, Glenn and I were out there, there's no one in Chicago you don't actually know. That's probably true. Probably true. To some, to some degree. Like the other day, Jim Marcus was like, does anybody know Jackie Fox? Because I have a thing. She was on Jeopardy, right? Uh-huh. Well, I know her from Maureen Herman. From The Runaways. From The Runaways. Well, Maureen from Jackie's in Toyland, yeah. but Jackie from The Runaways. And I'm like, well, I know her, but I have to, you know, she's not like... And everybody. Jim Marcus of Diwarsa and Di many Warsa, other musical Go projects. Fight. Yeah. Pig face. Hey. Yeah, everyone's in uh, pig face. Everyone's in pig face. Uh, um, and if you're not also, in pig face, you will be. Uh, Marcus is one of the most crazy intellectual people I've, I will ever meet. True. He's extremely smart. Uh, anyway. Um, I forgot where we were going because I'm not as smart as Jim Marcus. Jeopardy. Oh, so anyway. So uh, Eric, one of my favorite stories that has nothing, doesn't go anywhere. Which is great for a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Is Glenn Russell and I are out in front of Southport Liquors, which is a place where you could buy a shot and a beer for 85 cents back then. And Eric comes downstairs and goes, guys, guys, you know those quesadillas we get at uh, Campeche? Campeche by uh, Metro. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was like a, a go-to before shows. Or after. We would always go there after work. That area is unrecognizable. Yeah, it is. Uh, Eric goes, comes down. You know, not granted, we're all like 22, 23 
and we're all extremely Anglo-Saxon, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's keep this clear that it's not his fault is how excited he was. We were also equally excited to hear this news. It goes like this. Guys, guys, you know those quesadillas they make at Campeche? Yeah. At Jewel, they have something called Chihuahua cheese, which is how they make them. We're like, get the fuck out of here. And we went and tried it, and it was like, yeah. Like you, you solved one of the great mysteries yes. of, yeah. Yes. Eric Spicer has taught every white boy in Chicago how to make a quesadilla. And queso fundido is one of life's great pleasures. Which is also made with chihuahua cheese, a little chorizo in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do remember going to Campeche all the time. All before, the time, and I've completely forgotten about it. And that's kind of dovetails into another point. That area exit was in very different now, but also that area metro was in Wrigleyville wasn't always this. Oh no, no this no, no, no. high rolling playground. Wrigleyville had a sense of danger to it really through the eighties. Joe Shanahan, bless him was like, you'll never get in trouble for walking somebody to their car. I, I'll ask you a bunch of times, but any customer, male or female, whoever says, can you walk me? That's how bad it was. Joe Shanahan, owner of Metro. Owner of Metro. Mm -hmm. All around hell of a guy. Without a doubt? Without a doubt. One of the best humans in the world. And that Chicago. is the absolute right policy. It absolutely club. is. I told a story on Facebook uh, about when ecstasy hit Chicago. And, Joe, and I... Real quick. So there's a girl that I was attracted to. Mm. Joe Shanahan and Joe Prino had just bought us the Metro jackets, the wool ones with the leather yeah. sleeves. And Ecstasy came out. Or hit Chicago. So this girl is high on Ecstasy, <laughs> which is fine. No judgment here. Mm -hmm. But it was cold, so I gave her my coat. I didn't know she was high on Ecstasy yet. She comes out. I'm talking to Joe Shanahan. We're out front. And she comes out and she's like, oh. And she's like rubbing my coat. You know. Uh -huh. I'm sure you don't know. Neither one of us I'm has ever done drugs. But people who are on ecstasy like to touch things. So she's like, wow, this coat feels. Uh, you should take me home. We should have sex. I looked at Joe Shannon and he goes, just take her home. The implication was, you're going to take her home. You're not going to have sex with her because she's high and stupid. But I know that I can trust you and she's a regular and everything. So I told that story because my friend who's in that story is my friend on Facebook. And she was like, yeah, and I was mad at you because we didn't have sex. But then I realized you were a nice guy. And Joe Shanahan goes, I remember that story. I do remember that exact second. I looked you in the eye and I said, take her home. He's like, it never occurred to me that anything bad would happen. That's awesome. And I was like, yeah, that's how that, that's the kind of story that gets lost in, man, it was crazy and everybody did drugs and we saw Nirvana when there was 20 people on the show, which is true, by the way. By the way, when Nirvana played at Metro, there were 150 people. Jim Gallo and Deb Gallo can testify to this. But now 10,000 people have seen that show. Well, it's the same thing like when Metallica did their first Chicago show at Metro. Right. I mean, yeah. suddenly everyone happened to be there for the first time they played on the Kill em All tour. Absolutely. And uh, talk about a weird world. After Nirvana played, then when I went over through Europe and then back through America and then Europe and Japan with Killing Joke and Martin was playing drums, those guys kind of followed us a little bit, but they weren't, uh, but it hadn't hit yet. Mm -hmm. They were in a van and they used to, we used to let them mooch off of our hospitality and stuff. They were either like the day before the day after wherever we were playing. Wait, so Nirvana was mooching off the Killing Joke? Yeah. But, That's amazing. But uh, with permission. Of course. They had nothing. 
yeah, and they were just like starving. We used to we used to let them when we would check out of a hotel and the nights we had a hotel. I'd be like, you can use this hotel. You can take a, you can nap and you can shower because they were literally living in a van. Through yeah, there. I'm like, if you fucking rack up a bill, it's going to you know management and going yeah. to me, and I have to pay. So if you're, I'll find you if you do a mini bar thing, you know. So they would shower in our after we left. So it's this- just it's kind of funny, and that all because. They played Metro, and Joe Shanahan built this beautiful thing. But, yeah, those are the kind of stories that get lost because people are like, it was crazy, it was wild, da-da-da. It was all that. But you know what else? It was people like Barb Derry, one Christmas, one snowstorm, she um, she's like, I'll drive you home. You're, you're too drunk to drive. I didn't and, have who, a, and who is this? Barb. She was a bartender. Okay. Just a sweetheart. She was oh, one of the most amazing people in the world. She came from Rockford with Jim Gallo and... Glenn Ellis, a bunch of people all came out at the same time. She was a fixture at Smart Bar Metro forever. Just a, just a stellar human being from the day one. I didn't have a car. I had a motorcycle. We're drinking after work at uh, Smart Bar, and she goes, you're too drunk to drive. I'll have to drive you home. I said, okay. She had a Yugo, and it's a snowstorm. So we're trying to get me all the way up to Rogers Park from mm-hmm. Metro. We can't make it in a Yugo. Remember you goes? I do. Okay. I do. I wouldn't want to take one in a snowstorm. No. no. So we're, we push your car. We push your car. So finally, we go around the block at Metro. We pull into that little spot between the Metro and Ginger G-Man. Man. Yeah. And she goes, I'm just going to leave my car here. And I go, oh, I'll get, we'll get you a cab or you know, and, it, and it's like four in the morning and no one's coming. And uh, she goes, I don't need a cab. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I live right there. She lived above G-Man. She was going to take me home in her car. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So those are the people, like, those stories, it's like, that is, like, amazing. You know what I mean? And it's, so it's like, wait, you live next door? You're going to drive in a snowstorm to take me home because you're worried about me, the bouncer. That's cool. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've, you've seen a lot of examples of good like that. I'm sure you've seen a lot Tons of examples of, of, you know, bands and pivotal moments in their careers and in pop cultural moments but you've also seen some of the the seedy stuff and that tends to be what people are really interested in it's you know and the funny part is you get to you get to be me hey look at this tight that's tight fit there son Uh um you get to be me and it's like all the seedy stuff is normal then you remember the stuff like barb Derry trying to take you home and it's like wow that's just fucking amazing but yeah there's some more stuff here's a good one for you here's a quick one back at the old exit days we used to have uh beach parties in the middle of winter right so we go to north avenue beach we'd steal a bunch of sand we put it on the dance floor which was the pit right uh-huh. this girl comes in she's got a bunch of handlers i'm like wow that girl looks familiar she's like oh that's a cute bar what's this i'm like it's beach night it's like february yeah everybody's wearing like hawaiian shirts and shorts and biker jackets you know i love it engineer boots she goes, wow, this is cool. And the people are like, you know, you can't. I'm like, you know, if you wear a bikini, you drink free. They walk out the door, right? Like, well, whatever. An hour later, she comes back on her own. No, with a, uh, another young woman that wasn't with him the first time. Mm-hmm. It was a friend of hers. She goes, she's got a heavy, like, coat on. She's got gym shoes on, like uh, Chuck Taylor's. And she opens up her thing. She's wearing a bikini. She goes, guy drink for free now? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I go, this is going to sound stupid. I know I know who you are. She's like, yeah, Brooke Shields. Yeah. 
That's the kind of shit you remember. She's like, this is a fun place. I have a bikini. I'm a supermodel at the hotel. I'll go get it. I'll come back. I'll hang out at exit Yeah, I'm used to people seeing me in various stages. Yeah, of- she didn't care. But her handlers didn't want her to have any part of it because it was a scumbag bar. Oh, that's fantastic. So she came back. Um, Alice Cooper used to hang out there all the time. I know you love Alice Cooper. I also love Alice Cooper. Because we, I love Alice I, Cooper. I don't want to steer the podcast in that direction. Yeah. But favorite Alice Cooper album? Uh, well, that's hard, but I will say Billion Dollar Babies for a couple reasons. Yours? Well, one of those reasons would have to be Generation Landslide. landslide yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Unbelievable. Actually, I was listening to that on the way down. It's a great album. Elected, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, my God. Here's the thing, though. If if you had been at my liner notes, produced by Joe Shanahan and Shannon at the G-Man a month ago, that was my record Mm -hmm. that changed your life. Here's why, though. Besides that, in the book, I talk about punk rock. The the story punk rock leads to, or porn shop leads to punk rock. It's all about Alice Cooper. Right. Cool. And he led to all this different stuff, right? So when Shannon asked me to do it, and I was like, yeah. I was going to do all this, like, cool, heady stuff, you know. Velvet Underground, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, fuck that. Everybody goes through Alice. Everything goes through Alice. You learned about glam because Alice Cooper made it mainstream. Mm -hmm. You learned about heavy metal, maybe, because Alice Cooper played some heavy metal on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever when you Mm -hmm. were, if you're a certain age, right? Everybody wants to be cool and say the MC5 or the Velvet Underground or the Stooges were their first influence to get the changed their life. Fuck you. It was Alice Cooper. I couldn't agree with you more. And Alice Cooper, Billion Dollar Babies, part of why I like it is <clears throat> they already had a bunch of hits, right? But they weren't huge, 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 huge. They make that record. They're all guys wearing blue jeans and all the turquoise. Mm-hmm. And, the hair. and then they're like, oh we got to come up with something because now this is just a monster that took mm-hmm. off. The money they spent on that album, on the, the dollar that folds out, the pictures. Oh, the, yeah. The original one had the pictures you could perforate it, you could take out and put in your wallet. It was a nuts. And I, that, as a kid, was like, I didn't know all that backstory, but I was like, this is amazing. But, yeah, that music turned me on to, that opened the door for everything. Somebody might have something besides Alice Cooper, but I guarantee you that every person in the world who saw Nirvana or Metallica, when there was only 40 people in the room, mm-hmm. every person in the room who says that they were just listening to Journey until they heard MC5 or whatever, however their story goes, is bullshit. Somebody like Alice Cooper, most likely Alice Cooper, turns you on to something else. And it made you look. Alice Cooper's the first music that I heard that made me want to investigate what was going on. Generation Landslide? was like no song that song still holds up in every possible way and then when you're like studying and you're reading the lyrics and you're like Mm -hmm. you want to learn about different it's like what and i will even cop to liking the version on special forces which came out in 1981 yeah i know i do too the album's kind of a waste but i do kind of like that it is good graphics though and i like who do you think we are off that album yeah okay that's a good one Uh i'll give you that but yeah like ivan when i did the when i did the the um, thing at G-Man Ivan Russia from Mr. Russia mm-hmm. uh, he's got a new record out by the way next week um, uh, he comes to the thing he's wearing a killer t-shirt he's like I had no idea you were talking about Alice Cooper and here's the guy who's like this huge industrial I mean he does a lot of other stuff but when you say Ivan Russia or Mr. Russia people go oh industrial music yeah, yeah. really hard really loud like hate department whatever and it's like He's wearing a killer T-shirt. He's like, I fucking love Alice Cooper. See, he's like one of those guys. He's like, I don't have any pretense. I know where I came from. 
So, and he's, you know, he's a little bit younger than me, but younger than I, but you know, it's like Alice Cooper opened that door for me. Yeah. I, I, I love Alice Cooper. Uh, it's not a great album, I don't think, but the one that stuck with me through the years is From the Inside, which was this concept album about his being institutionalized yeah. for addiction. And it's just, there was a comic book, Marvel Comics, Marvel Premiere number yes! 50, yes! created a comic book based on that album, From the Inside, with Nurse Rosetta, which Alice still plays live. Still plays live. Um, Jackknife yeah. Johnny. Um, yeah. There were some really fun songs in there, and it had that cool gatefold cover. Or that, not even a gatefold, it was like a die cut cover where you open the doors to the asylum. Yes. And you could see in. Oh my God, I forgot that. Yeah, great stuff. All right, I, see, yeah. I know Alice Cooper is going to take us in a direction I, I don't want to go. Because, I mean, I, I can hear people turning off the podcast as I talk about Alice Cooper. No one said hello since Scotty Brown. I know. We're not live. Well, anymore. here's the thing. Uh, well, no, we're still live, uh, but people will catch up to this after it's posted. Okay. That's the, 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 yeah, that's the way it works. Um, all right, so we talked a little bit about drugs. You've seen full-on copulation in the nightclub, haven't you? Yes. Like, I, that seems like a risky thing. You would think. What do you do as a bouncer? Do you, do you break it up? Do you kind of, knowing that it's only going to be a couple minutes, do you just kind of let it ride? It depends on the situation. Uh, nowadays, I don't know what the fuck the kids do. But uh, at Exit, it was just part of the thing. It was literally just part of the thing. Bathrooms, DJ booth, dance floor, ice making room. Don't, don't judge us. It was punk rock. Was yeah, cool. yeah. Um, you know, whatever, up on the roof. And to get on the roof to have sex at exit, you had to climb up on the fire escape from the building next door and jump over. You had to be Batman. You had to be Batman. Uh, so I weighed 100 pounds less than. Um, so that was just normal, right? That was whatever. Metro, it was a classy joint didn't happen so much in the club at metro it was more outside i was gonna say metro doesn't seem like a very yeah they didn't that wasn't their thing that was it was outside there are no nooks and crannies in metro no. yeah um china clubs shelter that fucking was everywhere bat was just like okay turn a blind eye but they had little alcoves and stuff right mm-hmm. i get to new york and it's just like i was working at the tunnel and they had a place called the the bathroom bar which was 20 urinals on one side, 20 stalls on the other side. It was all white tile, and there was two bartenders in there. It was a huge oval bar, right? There was no door. I mean, stores on the stalls, but there was no door to, into it. Wait, this is a real place, the bathroom bar? Yeah, the tunnel. That's in the tunnel. I mean, it was a place in the tunnel. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter Gation owned it, so the guy from Limelight and stuff. So um, people all the time. So the deal there was you go in, you go, guys, you turn your back. And you stand in front of them, and you go, give them a minute. <laughs> Which is weird, but it was just how we just kind of did it. And the guy was like, okay, now I'm on a timer. Two women, two guys, male, female. Didn't matter who it was, group. It was like as soon as the bouncer yelled, guys, and turned his back to what was going on, but stood there, wrap it up. Isn't that weird? And I don't even, that wasn't even something someone said. It's just we all kind of learned it. It's like a food challenge on the Food Network. Yes. 60 seconds. Oh, I got to get my souffle is, up and I've got to plate my dish. This is the clock that ticks the loudest, motherfucker. Get done. <laughs> get done or get gone. So, yeah, that was it. At Exit, you saw a lot in the back, too. There was a little parking lot in the back. It was just a lot of it. But, you know, hey, man, a bar. You know what a bar is? It's a place to get fucked up and get fucked. That's what it is. So you can't get mad at people for getting fucked up and... For fulfilling the prophecy. Right. It's like people be like, oh, I couldn't handle drunks. It's like, you know what? Sometimes drunks want to fight, but mostly they're just drunks and they're sad and they just 
want someone to hold on to them while they walk out the door. And that's what you do. And then the next night, they're like, man, I was so fucked up. You're like, yeah, I didn't notice. Because you know what? Everybody needs their dignity. If you can't give someone their dignity, you don't deserve to have that job. That's just all there is to it. You know, I went through a lot of muscle heads that I refused to let work another day with me at Exit, especially. Sometimes at Metro, too. Like Shanahan would say, what about that guy? I'm like, the guy just wants to fight. Anybody who just wants to fight is not a door guy. Yeah. He's a meathead. He's a meathead. Um, You know, so, I mean, (laughs) you know, Adam Rimgale, who's one of the door guys from Exit and the old Neo, he gave a great line when people would fight with him in front. Dude, it's my party. Everybody inside is somebody that I invited to my party. If you can't get along with me right now, you for sure aren't going to get along with all the people yeah. I invited to my party. So go home <laughs> and come back later, you know? Well said. Yeah, yeah that was it, a good line. I always liked that. Going back to this idea of two different ideas, you being capable of fighting and holding your own and also doing the right thing. You talk in your book, which I'm going to hold up for the Facebook Live again. Yay. This might hurt a bit. Uh, you talk about, you know, if you found out that a guy had been physically abusive to his girlfriend, you'd hunt him down. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's like the little yeah. frontier justice, Steve Silver style. Steve Silver style. Uh, I want to be clear. That's not Steve Silver style. I mean, it is, but I learned that from Kimball Paul, Pat Day, two guys that were just great door guys that are no longer with us. Uh, Bobby Scarpelli, one of the kings of the door guys that are no longer with us. He was the G-Man. He was the G-Man, the Metro Neo guys right there. Glenn Ellis, another one. Thank God. Live and kicking, kicking everybody's ass. Amazing human being. I love that guy. Chuck Shaw, Mark Reed, a few others, obviously. I mean, a lot of others. I can't even go into them right now. That was the deal. Women expected us to protect them. And you know why? Because that's what our job was. But you know what? If it's your job at night, it's okay for you to do it during the day too, right? (laughs) So... It was understood that if you had a problem with a guy, you would talk to us because we weren't going to make a big scene about it. Maybe we would, but probably not. But we were scary guys. Yeah. Right? I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm really nice to you, but it would take about, even in my advanced age and decrepitness, it could take me about less than 30 seconds to scare the fuck out of you right now if I felt the need to. Because that's just something you, you, don't you have. You don't feel the need don't. to. I don't. Yeah. Please don't make me feel the need to. I... You asked if I wanted the last empanada, so <laughs> that, my friend, gets you a pass. But we would go places and just be like, it's time for you to go. And the guy would be like, I live here. No, you don't. What do you mean? No, you don't. I'll tell you what. I got to say, 75% of the time, guy was just like, fuck it. Help me move my stuff. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm not taking an ass beat, and I was wrong. You know? And, uh... I remember once when Kimball and I were dropping dropping a guy out of the window, literally. Uh, but before we got to the point where we threw him out the window, he we're like, you got to go. And he's like, okay, yeah, I get it. You guys are all tough guys. And she wasn't there because she didn't want to be there. Yeah, of course. And uh, he was trying to take some of her stuff or something. Kimball's like, leave that. Get your shit. Let's go. Kimball turns his back to the guy. He's in the bathroom picking up his stuff. We're smoking. Kimball's a big boy. I don't know if you remember him or know mm-hmm. him, but... Just a big, 6'5", 6'6", shaved head, big, uh, master, literally a master of uh, several different types of martial arts, an instructor in martial arts. It's the kind of guy you look at and you just get the sense, don't fuck with him. Don't fuck with him. Uh Zen, but the sweetest guy in the world, right? The guy comes running out and it's like a cartoon. He jumps on Kimball's back and he's like, ah! And Kimball looks over at me and he's like, 
I, I, I just have to do it. I'm sorry for you people in Facebook land. You won't get this. But he's like, like, get this guy off of me. So I'm like, I pull the guy off. He starts wailing. Kimball's like, look, dude, you got to go. And the guy's like, oh, fuck you. I'm not going anywhere. That's my stuff. Kimball goes, is this your stuff? Because you want your stuff? Third floor justice there. But he was all right. He was fine. We broke his arm. But that's, I mean, you know, the guy had it coming. But mostly that's not what happened. Mostly we went and told people it was time for them to leave, and they left. This happened a lot at work. It happened a lot at work. I don't know I don't know how it is now because I'm old and I don't go out. But it used to be guys felt very comfortable raising a hand to a woman in a bar, but never in front of me for a second time or any of the guys I worked See, with. Yeah, this was this must have been before I, I was allowed to go to bars and clubs. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. It was all the time. And um sometimes and it's like what cops say, they hate domestic calls. But I was never, ever going to let a guy hit a woman in my yeah. presence. And sometimes the woman would be like, no, 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 you stop hurting him. And you, you most times she did. I got to say something about guys who like to hit women. They hardly ever fucking fight back when it's a man who's fighting them. That's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Um, so you weren't really hurting them. You were just mostly just bundling them up and throwing them out. Yeah. But sometimes, every once in a while, they'd get a some kind of thing where they thought they had to be a tough guy, but it didn't last that long. But yeah, it's one of the kind of dichotomies of the scene, like I'm talking about, with people being nice. Is like, and you know what? Here's how you know you're really good at scaring the shit out of somebody, or that you're scary. Is that women that love you, that will drive you home, even though they live next door, mm-hmm. uh, or are waitresses or bartenders that work with you, or regulars that you see all the time, or people in restaurants that you see from the club after the campaign or whatever. Women who think that you are the greatest guy in the world are terrified to ask you to go talk to their boyfriend. And that's when you know you absolutely have to go talk to yeah, their boyfriend. Yeah, I agree. Because if she's afraid to have you talk to him, that means that he's done something that needs to be stopped. Agreed. That's probably that still goes on, but back then I don't know why. I, I and I hope to God I am right in my assumption that it happened a lot more then than it does now because I would like to think it that feels evolved. like that's the case. But it feels like it, but you know the only people who can tell us are women, and I, but I think that that's right. But again, I don't know. But yeah, it was kind of a badge of honor to be like, I don't want to tell you this. Who was it? You know what I mean? That's how mm-hmm. it started. I don't want to tell you this. I'm like, where? And and that's it. And that wasn't just me. It's my story in the book because it's my story. Right. But those guys all, all did that. It was like a code. Yeah, it was just a code. And it wasn't just door guys. There were regulars who would be like, hey, I got to go talk to this guy because it would be like my neighbors getting beat up who never came to the club. But the guy's like, I got to, can you come with me? It's like, yeah, sure, okay. It's like, really? I'm like, yeah. It's like, what? how much do I owe you? you say, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I'll help you. And it's like, oh, yeah. And it's, you get a sixth sense of that after a while. It's like, you can just look at a guy. I can still look at people and see what pieces of shit they are. It's kind of it's the curse. <laughs> I don't mean everybody, but I can see it. Everyone has their own superpower. That's mine. All Good right. bad, that's mine. Uh, I do want to mention again, the book is This Might Hurt a Bit. Uh, I got mine on Amazon. Ooh. And... Uh, you are doing something with Martin Atkins. I am on the 20th of January at Reggie's from 4 to 7. It's a Sunday afternoon, so everybody should come down. It's it, we're gonna, It's his title, but I love it. It's called Quiet Deluxe. Last time we did it, we did it at Resistor. It's two hours of us just trading stories back and forth. And it's kind of punk rock because literally 
We have no idea what we're going to talk about. We'll I, remind each other of stuff. I'm sure it's super entertaining. The, the two it's of you fun. together. Yeah. It's fun. He, tell, he tells And Martin the has the cool accent, which makes his story somewhat more yeah, interesting. It is. And I have to get my flat top trimmed up before we go because his hair is this long. And if I do it, then it just looks crazy. You've got the same glasses, the same hair. To the flat top. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks for uh, turning me on to the food here, the South American yeah. food. Very delicious. Uh, served on bamboo plates. Uh, the book, again, is here. This might hurt a bit. Uh, Steve Silver, thank you for for the storytelling. It was great. I'm sorry I rambled. Uh, that, that's why I, that's why I booked you. <laughs> that's true. Hey, if you can put up with Pizzotti, just yeah, 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 yeah. Are you kidding? He's Jeff freaking Pizzotti. <laughs> I, I know. I don't care what Pizzotti says. I, just, I, I think it's cool to be in his presence. It is. He's like a prince among men. He, really he, he is, is a, an icon, period, but certainly in Chicago. Can I just say one thing about Jeff? Mm-hmm. It's a story I tell that he hates that I tell, but I'm gonna tell this when I wrote it for them. Mm-hmm. We traveled to this place in Kansas and it was freezing fucking cold. He remembered that we had a there was a stove backstage, gas stove, and we were warming our hands over the mm-hmm. burners, right? Like a bunch of hobos. Yeah. It was. Uh, it took us forever to get there. We didn't make any money. There was like 700 kids there, mm-hmm. and we're freezing. And all we want to do is get back. And Jeff Pizzotti. Actually, all the guys, but Jeff Pizzotti longer because it's Jeff. It's like me. Stories take a little time. Uh-huh. Not one person ever left without getting to talk to him. He's like, no, this is what I got to do. And that was 30 fucking years ago, and it sticks with me. It's like that. That's who you want your rock stars to be. Is, God, that is the truth. Is he's just the greatest fucking guy in the world. They all are. Pierre, Paul, you know, all of them. Eric, even Johnny. Um... Yeah, we live in an era now but where just you pay for the privilege to meet celebrities. You right. pay for your autographs. Uh, the, the convention circuit, I mean, this isn't a music thing, but you pay 75 to $100 to meet someone who you admire. And I think about examples like that, punk rock examples where the bands, oh. you know, they're not leaving, they're not getting on, getting in the van until everyone... Everyone. And that's what I love about Pig Face with Martin. Martin's the same way. It's like... That's it. And when I did the first two pig face tours, we'd play for two hours or three hours, and we'd be there for two or three hours. Yeah, every fucking it's part buddy, of the gig. Everybody, and not just oh hi hello, let me sign that. Literally, tell me your story. I'll, I'll listen. You know what I mean? That's amazing. And there's not enough of that. Those guys are great. But yeah, that's, so it's a nice thing I said about Jeff Pizzotti on, on accident. But anyway, that, that's so, a great thanks story. For having me. That, that's that a great wonderful. story. Yeah. That that in, in, I do have bands who watch this and who listen. Uh, that that's a great model. For you moving forward, if you're not already making sure that the people who come to see you are, are treated like royalty or right. respected, you're doing something wrong. Absolutely. All right. This was great. Thank you again. I had a blast. Thank you so uh, much. Carquin Carney, uh, presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. Steve Silver, presented by no one else but himself. Just me. Damn Maybe. it. Thank you. I am what I am. True enough. <laughs>